to the Dunker Punks podcast. I'm your host, M. Gresh, and I am so excited to be working on this episode with Jennifer Sumi because the camp she now serves is the camp where I spent my middle and high school years living at. Jen has been serving at Camp Mardella since 2020, and boy have things changed since I lived there. Navigating the pandemic has left our camp administrators with new insights into how and why camp is so meaningful to our campers. Camp Mardella has a special place in my heart, but I'm sure we all have memories of camping. The outdoors, the smell of trees and plants, never knowing when you'll encounter wildlife, and especially learning about God. I'll let Jen tell you a little bit more about herself and her work at Camp Mardella. My name is Cornelius and I'm truly honored to be offered this opportunity and space by this podcast to be able to talk about and advocate for a topic that affects and probably will affect many of us. Have you ever experienced the need to get something, maybe something that has been pressuring you or agitating you for a long time, cleaned out of your body or mind? I'm sure every one of us has undergone that kind of emotion at some point in our lives. Some academic literature would suggest you try catharsis, which Oxford languages would define as the process of releasing and thereby providing relief from strong or repressed emotions. Though it seems like an exceptionally fancy word, it pretty much describes what you would need at that point. However, the term itself is rather broad and could obviously mean completely different things for each of one of us, and there are multiple ways for individuals to experience stress relief since emotions and needs are highly subjective. One person might experience catharsis by talking to their friends and family about things they are currently dealing with, while others process burden and experience emotional relief by exercising, making music, or spending some time in nature. Still, given the multi-layered and numerous crises our societies and planet Earth are currently facing, one could definitely argue that the capacity for performing such a stress and burden-relieving act is drastically shortened for more vulnerable groups of people of which I would consider my generation to be a part of. Over the course of this episode, I want to go over what that means exactly. I will talk about the connection between mental health, disharmony, and peace building while also digging into some of the concerning facts regarding the mental struggles my generation is currently facing. Additionally, additionally, I will elaborate what catharsis means in this context and how activism may be one of the most compelling and fulfilling ways for my generation to experience catharsis. With that being said, I want to give a short disclaimer and trigger warning. I will be discussing topics of mental illnesses and struggles, including suicide, which is definitely a sensitive topic. If you're not comfortable with that, I would encourage you not to proceed with listening to this episode and maybe just switch to a different Dunkin' Punks episode. But before I get into the actual subject, I want to thank the Dunkin' Punks podcast again for letting me use their platform to share my message and welcome you all to my episode. As I mentioned at the beginning, my name is Cornelius and I'm currently serving one year as a volunteer with Brethren Volunteer Service at the Office of Peace Building and Policy at the local Church of the Brethren in DC. Some of you might already be wondering where I'm from since hiding my accent still remains a big challenge for me, but I feel like now is a good time to work on it after 10 years of English classes at school. I graduated from school in Germany about six months ago and then decided to participate in a volunteer program abroad to kind of step up my current living situation and get to know a completely different place. Another reason for me to be here after graduating from school is to gain a first-hand perspective on how people in the largest economy of the world live and think in their private spaces and understand what concerns them politically. Since my home country is about 4,000 miles away from here, the way young people live their personal lives and interact with each other can differ a lot from what my generation generally is like. That's of course because our educational systems, culture and socialization, and the way parts of our societies are shaped in general, can differ a lot. 
That's of course because our educational systems, culture and socialization and the way parts of our societies are shaped can be very different. However, American influence on German society, especially on my generation, is prevalent in everyday life in Germany. Just thinking about social media, American slang words, music, fast food, etc. That's why I feel like our young generations are so deeply connected but yet so different. This overall reflects the strongest sense of individualism and the strife for idealism that tie my generation or Gen Z together. By definition, everyone who was born between 1997 and 2012 technically belongs to Generation Z, which means that individuals of my generation are at very different life stages. Some are just entering middle school, where others are already established in the workforce. Defining groups of ages and tying them together or labeling them as a generation always remains to be quite a challenge, and determining borders between generations can also be very difficult or may seem arbitrary. Yet, for a variety of reasons, some of which I've already mentioned, we, Generation Z, and the younger generations that follow are more uniquely connected than any other generation before. No other generation has been so internationalized and jumped over national borders, lived and experienced diversity on so many levels like us. Part of the reasons for that is obviously our globalized and technologized world, along with our disproportionate presence on social media and the access to unlimited information on the internet, or rather even having access to such a thing compared to previous generations. Of course, that's nothing new, but I just want to highlight the importance of that, because the way my generation grew up really shapes the way we live and interact as a generation. Some media or literature would sometimes use the terms digital natives to describe the younger generations, also including Gen Z. Understanding how young people think and what affects them is significant if you want to analyze what it's like to deal with accumulating and burdening challenges like climate change, isolation during COVID, economic crises, war, and so much more. These challenges or burdens will undoubtedly affect us all. However, today I want to talk about my and upcoming generations primarily, because we are the ones who will still have to deal with most of that in the future, and I would argue that younger generations are also one of the most vulnerable generally. Nevertheless, we can often get neglected or moved to the background in public conversations and policy making, which is a fatal thing to do, since we are the ones who will contribute to and shape the future of this planet as well as being affected by it the most. Gen Z will also presumably make up over a quarter of the Asia-Pacific population by 2025. That's why it's even more crucial to talk and care about what keeps us young people on this planet up at night, which traumas and burden we might suffer from collectively, and what exactly ties us together in a more negative sense. Some of the actual numbers and facts are actually quite concerning. An astonishing 91% of Gen Z young adults say they've had one or more symptoms of stress, including feeling sad or depressed, having a lack of interest in activities, having a lack of energy and having a lack of motivation. People aged 18 to 24 also hold the largest share of diagnosed anxiety disorders or depression compared to every other age group overall according to the new US Census Bureau Household Pulse survey. When digging deeper into some more specific data on mental health during COVID, the direction in which this is going quickly becomes clear. According to a 2022 study published by Harmony Healthcare with more than a thousand participants, 68%, almost three in four Gen Zers, said the pandemic has negatively impacted their mental health. In alignment with that, over 42% of Gen Z had been diagnosed with a mental condition in 2022, from which an anxiety disorder, 90%, and depression, 78%, were by far the most diagnosed. Additionally, it's important to mention that of those, more than one out of four, 62%, were diagnosed during the pandemic from March 2022 or later. Thus, it's safe to say that the pandemic, or specifically the time during the lockdown, social distancing, etc., qualifies as a generational and collective trauma. Quick side note on my end, the first study I referenced was published in 2022, which means that some of the data and trends might have changed a little bit ever since. But the data I'm referencing is one of the latest and broadest because representative studies are always pretty time intense and take a lot of effort. Moreover, it's still evident that the COVID-19 pandemic, along with lockdowns, definitely accelerated or even sparked this rising trend 
in which Gen Z's mental health is gradually worsening, stacked with components of anxiety and depression, with correlates with big holes left in people's childhoods, mostly due to isolation, a destabilized economy, or the loss of a loved one followed by uncertainty and hopelessness. Those trends coincide with data from an in-depth survey from 2022 conducted by the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which among other things examined the past trends regarding high schoolers' mental health from 2011 and 2021 and found that there was an increase in Gen Zers that felt persistently bad or stressed out. Specifically, for the same survey during the 2011 school year when millennials were in high school, 28% of the respondents reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless, as opposed to the present-day Gen Zers at 42%, which means an increase by 14% among present young people compared to young people roughly 10 years ago that feel that kind of negative emotions. With 57%, female high schoolers are almost twice as likely to report mental health problems as their male counterparts with 28%. Additionally, looking at race, multiracial, Hispanic, African Indians and Alaska Native Gen Zers are also the most affected, with numbers in the 40% range. Regarding sexuality, 69% of the members of the LGBTQ community are disproportionately struggling with mental health issues, as opposed to heterosexuals with 35%, therefore making minoritized groups the most affected by persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. The youth is also suffering a suicide crisis. Young suicides have a shocking statistic, with it being the second leading cause of death. 24% of students have experienced suicidal ideation in the last 12 months, and 10 to 17% of young people have made a suicide attempt, meaning that suicide will actually surpass homicide as the leading cause of deaths among young people. This is more than concerning. And certainly, since distress is among the crucial factors for those alarming numbers, it's even more evident how much stress and burden the present young generation has to undergo, not only statistically, but also in reality, since there are always real humans and individual fates behind all those facts and numbers. However, I first need to mention that there's certainly little to no generation that does not face any kind of crises, trauma, or collective burden, thinking about world wars, health, social and economic crises, as well as poverty. So I don't want to say that our mental status young generation is unprecedented, which would neglect or even relativize previous devastating life-threatening challenges, it's just necessary perhaps to draw attention to the urgency and complexity of our crisis at the moment. For example, only by looking at simple images like the doomsday clock, which currently is at 90 seconds before midnight, you get a general sense of where we as a species are currently. Namely, we're actually closer to destroying our planet, including our human species, than ever before, or rather since the implementation of the Doomsday Clock in the late 1940s. That's a devastating testimonial. Short context for people who are not familiar, the Doomsday Clock, created by Bolotin, the atomic scientists, in 1947, is a very simple but perspicuous imagery. Short context for people who are not familiar, the Doomsday Clock, created by Bolotin, the atomic scientists, in 1947, is a very simple but perspicuous imagery that's supposed to show how close humanity is to destroying itself considering aspects of nuclear threats, climate change, disruptive technology, and biological threats. And midnight represents a global human-made catastrophe. Therefore, our world is technically, following the opinion of the atomic scientists, are one of the closest to erasing itself, and we all need to act. It's supposed to be our duty for young generations and especially policymakers who shape the future of this planet to take action for a brighter future. It's crucial to have functional and equitable resiliency mechanisms in solar society to foster activism and political participation so people don't fall into the process of resigning or even giving up. Mental health problems, or the human psyche in general, are heavily influenced by a person's personal environment, which is based on the way the broader society is shaped. That's why people who are legally in charge of modifying and influencing our society, namely policymakers, possess the responsibility to prioritize efforts to ensure resiliency for young generations that contribute to harmony and peace in our society. As it's crucial for them to make a change, our congregations face the same responsibility, however, of course, with a slightly different approach. 
be more specific, I want to emphasize social engagement with the concept of a volunteer service as one pivotal example to foster resiliency as I'm also speaking as a volunteer of the Brethren. Volunteer service is a tangible manifestation of peace convictions in action. It embodies the idea that true peace isn't just the absence of conflict, but the presence of justice, compassion, and a commitment to making the world a better place. When individuals engage in volunteer service, they are actively working to address the root causes of societal issues, whether it's poverty, inequality, or environmental concerns. In doing so, they contribute to the creation of a more peaceful and just society. And to connect with my initial reference to catharsis and peacemaking, activism can very well be a cathartic event for many of us and contribute to a more just and participatory society. It's a unique opportunity to experience emotional release and healing, which occurs when individuals engage in activities that align with their deeply held values and beliefs. Just a little side note again, Gen Zers are in fact the most likely to volunteer of any other age group. 46% say they had volunteered for a charity in their lifetime, while 24% specified they were currently engaging in volunteer work, according to a recent survey. Apparently, aligning their values and actions is particularly relevant for my generation, since it provides a sense of purpose and meaning in a world that can oftentimes feel chaotic and overwhelming. This view of how to contribute to a just society is also deeply rooted in the Brethren's understanding of peacemaking, as they stated in their 1979 statement on peace, Peace is not only the opposite of war, it is the presence of justice in a world where pervasive and systemic injustice prohibits peace. This approach could also be covered by the term positive peace, which in opposition to negative peace, not only defines peace as the absence of war, but also emphasizes the importance of a more lasting peace that is built on sustainable investments in economic and social development by considering aspects of social justice, well-being, and relationships between people inside a society. And one conclusion for the Church of the Brethren to contribute to this kind of peace and justice was to provide opportunities for peace ministries locally and globally through Brethren Volunteer Service for youth and adults. Therefore, peacemaking is not only about giving and positive peace inside society, it's also about catharsis, the process of feeling and fighting peace within oneself. This is currently the process I'm in with my volunteer service at the Office of Peacebuilding and Policy to be a small part of the change. And to experience what interdependence between inner and outer peace actually means is such a beautiful and forming opportunity that many organizations and congregations, including the Church of the Brethren, have understood and embraced by offering volunteer services. Coming to an end here, the reasons why I wanted to advocate for the topics I dealt with in this episode was that I feel like it's often neglected how we as humans feel and what kinds of emotions we go through due to our busy everyday lives. But moving that to the background is neglecting that what troubles us on the inside reflects on our actions on the outside and vice versa. Highlighting and acknowledging the importance of what affects people on the inside is more than crucial for a functional and healthy society. But now, I want to thank you all so much for listening. I would encourage you, if you want to gain a more in-depth sense of my work, to visit Brethren slash Peacebuilding and our Office of Peacebuilding and Policy Facebook page. Also, platforms like this podcast are unique ways to advocate and expand the outreach for important matters and issues like the ones I talked about. So I want to thank the Nanka Punks podcast again for having me and wish you all a wonderful and peaceful rest of your day. a critical piece of faith formation for many of the reasons Jen states, particularly when she mentions thin spaces. In some circles, it's called a liminal experience, a time taken out of your everyday life that revolves completely around God. Camps are a perfect place for that because we are completely centering our lives around God for however long we are at camp. 
As adults, we might call such an experience a spiritual retreat. When we take the time to be in nature with God, we learn not just about God, but about ourselves. This is not just a Christian idea. Most religions have some way of connecting God to creation and withdrawing from our hectic lives. But it is a Christ-like idea. When most of us think about Jesus, we think about him in crowds, talking to people, healing them. But Jesus is also a perfect role model for retreat. We hear about many times when Jesus took time to be with God, and when Jesus wanted to be alone with God, he did it outside. One of the most spiritually stunning experiences I have had was when I was visiting Camp Myrtlewood in Oregon. The trees were so tall, and I felt so small. The rain was always drizzling down, and the river running through camp was lush with fish. Camp is a place that defies words, because it is God's magnificent writ large around us. But I think the most important part of camp's mission is the intentional faith formation not the passive faith formation that simply happens by being in the woods. Camp is like an intensive course in college. You have a short period of time to complete a lot of learning, and somehow the learning is joyful at camp. How often in our lives do we find studying to be joyful? But when we go to camp, we are praying constantly. We are spending multiple times a day studying the Bible and we are praising God through music and laughter. What better kind of revival could we ask for? Jennifer suggests that the church would be more genuinely faithful if it were more like camp, a circle. And the early churches were indeed like that, small groups meeting in houses instead of giant, slowly emptying buildings. In those days, not having enough space was the problem. As we get older, fewer and fewer opportunities come up for summer camp, and seemingly for liminal experiences. And it makes me wonder how we can get back to that, back to the simple experiences of gentle envelopment in beautiful spaces, or the closeness of those early house churches. Maybe it means taking our churches out of the buildings, Outdoor worship services when the weather permits, or Bible studies taking place in private homes with potluck snacks, meditation spaces in quiet gardens, walking groups that go to beautiful parks and trails. But what else comes from taking church out of the building? Giving to others. For example, Camp Mardello runs largely on volunteers, from counselors to maintenance workers. It has a scholarship fund to help cover the cost of the week for kids who wouldn't otherwise be able to attend. Even campers do service projects. What similar things can we as churches do? The Church of the Brethren has been working on a campaign called Jesus in the Neighborhood which involves resources and inspiration for congregations looking to take their ministry from Sunday's worship-centered to Christ-centered giving back to those in need. 
You can find more information at brethren.org slash neighborhood tools. But what I'm hearing as I listen to more and more of these stories is that when we take Jesus out of the sanctuary, that's when church comes alive. But that sort of thinking is often met with resistance as we try to work new ideas into existing rhythms, structures, and budgets. The question that may be asked is, what are we getting out of it? How does it benefit us? I'm not sure the best way to phrase, we get to come alive again, in a way that doesn't sound like an inspirational greeting card. But when we structure our churches to exist solely in the sanctuary, we've stopped growing. And if you aren't growing, even if every member stays, you will eventually die. That's dire, isn't it? But we're talking about the survival of our faith here. Now is the time for radical change. We know from scripture that if we aren't bearing kingdom fruit, we will be ripped out. As much as we love our church buildings and our worship services on Sunday, are those really producing kingdom fruits? After all, isn't camp a perfect illustration of how to change the world instead of being left behind? As new campers walk through the door, they subtly change the way that camp looks, feels, and runs. Over time, camp has evolved to fit the needs of today's campers, not the campers of the 50s and 60s. That's because of the young people. When we only interact with people our own age or older, we miss out on learning the way the world will be in 10 years. Perhaps the question we should start asking our youth is, if you could start a church, what would it look like? Perhaps that's a question we could ask ourselves as well. Ignore what already exists and build a plan from scratch with recklessly joyful envisioning. It sounds radical, but if we can't sound a little radical, who can? Thanks for listening. The Dunker Punks podcast is a group of radical Anabaptists which highlights the voices of young people in the Church of the Brethren. This episode was created by M. Gresh, Jennifer Sumi and Tyler North. Jacob Krause creates our music. Ryan Dahmer manages production. Wichita First Church of the Brethren, Long Green Valley Church of the Brethren, Living Stream Church of the Brethren, Warrensburg Church of the Brethren, Beacon Heights Church of the Brethren, Arlington Church of the Brethren, and On Earth Peace sponsor the show. Have you ever wanted to be part of a podcast with an incredible team? The churches we worship in are all about faith formation, but we go beyond the walls of the building to share the thoughts of young people about Jesus we love. We are looking for 20 congregations to sponsor the podcast. If you're interested, email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org for more details, including an informational packet about congregational sponsorships to share with your church board. We are currently hiring for a communications intern position. 
The position is part-time, remote, and paid for by On Earth Peace. Current and recent secondary education students are eligible to work with the non-hierarchical team of the Dunker Punks. We're located across the country, and this position will help recruit new voices, get to know the contributors, and help them make connections in their messages. This is a wonderful opportunity to gain professional skills in project production, social media content generation, fundraising, graphic design, and interpersonal communications. You would also have the opportunity to engage in storytelling and spiritual discourse that promotes reflection, action, service, social justice advocacy, and creation care. Email us at dpp at arlingtoncov.org for more information, including a job description. Was today's episode inspiring for you? Help us to build the community by sending in your comments and favorite show quotes to dpp at arlingtoncov.org. Engaging with our posts on social media, we are Dunker Punks Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. In our next episode, Alyssa Parker and Cornelius Raff will be discussing Women's Caucus. This is M. Gresh, signing off.